The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Amen, church. Let's take our Bibles this morning, if you would, and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter number 5. If you're visiting with us today or a little unsure of that, there's a pew Bible that's right in front of you. If you kind of let that open up to the middle and just keep on turning to the right until you get all the way closer to the end of the Bible, you'll find, um, you'll find this little book there, Ephesians. And chapter 5, when we say that um, there by the verses, you'll find there'll be a large number. And that large number is the chapter number, and then the small numbers are the verse numbers. And so we are in the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, chapter number 5, verse number 25 through verse number 27. And take just a moment to uh, say that uh, we are praying, thankful for Jamie and Brittany to be at a conference this weekend as they are growing and learning and seeking to be filled up. We pray that he'll come back this next week. Uh, filled with all kinds of great ideas to, to lead us and help us in uh, worship and music. But I uh, just want to thank everybody helping today. And uh, Jason, what a fantastic job. And uh, just really appreciate the worship today. What a wonderful opportunity to be in the house of the Lord. And uh, those uh, up there in the sound booth and uh, those singing, I would like at the end of the service, I know there was another song for us to close today, but if we could just at the end of the service today, go back and sing uh, just a verse or so of that song, Come Thou Fount. I would appreciate that. Ephesians chapter number 5, verse 25 through verse 27. Of course, here in the beginning of the year, we've started a series on the church. And so we spoke about the church being the people of God, that imagery in the New Testament. We talked about the church being the body of Christ. We talked last week about the church being the temple of the Holy Spirit. And this week we want to speak about the church being the bride of Christ. And obviously you can see all the music leading up to that. Next Sunday we and the next two Sundays, we will deal with the ordinances of the church. So next Sunday, we will take the Lord's Supper here and open the Scripture and see what the Lord has to say. And then on the 19th of this month, we will actually have a whole service dedicated to baptism, the ordinance of baptism. And we will be baptizing some people that day. And so I want to encourage all of you to come, bring your family and friends as we discuss what baptism means to the local church and, and why that is so important. And by the way, I know that in the last several years we have had a number of people come from various denominations and backgrounds, but they are folks that have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And maybe you're a little nervous about baptism and where do I stand on all of that? Or maybe I've been serving the Lord for a long time. I'm saved, but I want to be baptized, but I, I'm a little embarrassed. I don't want everybody in the church to think I'm a new believer. I just want to encourage you, in the next week or two, would you contact me, email me, call me? Let's sit down and talk about that together. And if you stand in need of baptism, um, that'll be a great day for us to make a point and help all of the congregation know you a little bit personally and that you've been walking with the Lord, but that you want to identify here with this church in baptism as we serve God, glorify Him, and spread the Gospel to all of the nations. Ephesians 5, verse 25 through verse number 27. It fits within this larger passage of verse 22 
to verse number 33. Verse 25 reads, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her, so that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, that He might present to Himself the church and all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. And he who loves his own wife loves himself. Let's go to the Lord in prayer for a moment. So we bow our head and close our eyes. My friends, we're going to take a moment and have silence. I want to encourage every believer in the room to take a moment and kind of center your mind on the Lord and the text and ask God to speak to you. If you're here today and you're not a believer, maybe just take a moment, be quiet and think carefully and to give what will be said from God's Word an honest chance. Our Father, we do come before You and we thank You for Your Word and we thank You for the opportunity to meet in Your house today for the Bible study that came before, for the opportunity to greet each other, love each other, see friends that we haven't seen this week, to pray together, to extol and lift up Your Word and read it together, to give to sing praise to Jesus Christ has purchased our redemption on the cross and been raised alive to justify and vindicate our salvation. We rejoice in the good news of Jesus today. I pray for every heart today in this room. Lord, those who are believing and here, and they've been working all week trying to serve You, I pray that You'd feed them with encouragement from Your Word. That You would just help them to soak in the truth of Your Word and be revved up and ready to go at it again. I pray for the believing one in this room today who is far from You, not been living according to the standard of the Word of God, and they know in their heart that conviction of the Holy Spirit. I pray that they would lay down their weapons, that they would come before You and seek forgiveness and repentance, and in faith You'd restore them, help them to know that they are a part of Your bride, and that You are in the process of making them free of wrinkle and free of spot and free of sin. God, please help our hearts to be encouraged and convicted. I pray for those that are here today, Lord. Maybe they grew up in church. Maybe this is the first time they've ever been here. Lord, they may be skeptical. I just pray for that person today that they would be open, sincerely open and honest and fair-minded. And I pray, Lord, that You would do a work deep within their heart to show them that Your Word is true and that Jesus is the King of kings and that He died in our place and bore our sin and paid that price and that He rose again and He is alive and He is well and He is in this room. And that if that individual would just simply quit fighting, no matter the age, 
no matter the background, no matter the race, no matter the money, if they would just give up and come to Jesus, that it would be the sweet grace of God that would bring them into the family of God, the bride of Christ, and bring new life. We will love you and praise you and thank you for who you are and for all that you will accomplish on this day. For it is in the name of Jesus we do pray. Amen. I was thinking uh, early this morning, getting ready uh, for this text all week. I've been looking through here and just thinking of a way to, to remember. And you know, uh, we'll get to the points in a few minutes. But the the sermon today is just incredibly simple. It just simply deals with our salvation, our sanctification, and our eventual glorification by the Lord Jesus Christ. And all week I was wrestling around. I wasn't even sure about uh, what slides to put up and all of that. But I was reminded this morning of one of our uh, senior saints that was here. Um, she passed away a few years ago, but uh, some of you would remember Kelly Murray. And Kelly Murray lived to be to the young age of 95, I believe it was. And uh, she would come to the service, had this big smile on her face. In fact, often after the service, uh, she'd meet me in the back, give me a hug, and she'd kiss me on the collar and tell me not to let Connie see. And, uh, you know, Connie was okay with a 95-year-old lady giving me a smooch on the collar. And she would always grasp my hand and she would say, and i got to say it like Kelly would say, she would listen to the sermon, she'd have a big smile on her face, she'd grab my hand and she'd say, all my life, all my life I've been listening to that truth. All my life I've been listening to that truth. Keep on preaching. My friends, I want you to know that the text and the lesson that comes from this Scripture is none other than the simple bedrock of all that we believe of a church. It is what our church is built on. It is what we grow from. We never grow beyond it. We never grow around it. We never lay it down and put it on a shelf. We must extol and live in and go deeper in the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Let me just show you a few things from the text today. I'll work down through it and make a few points as we go. So put your eyes back on the text, verse number 25. And so he begins in this way. He says, husbands now, husbands, love your wives. And you'll notice that this is picking up right in the middle of this section for in verse number 22, the Apostle Paul speaks to the wives. And in this chapter, he is dealing with the ethical issues of the home life and the marital life, our relations with each other. He is built everything upon the, the truth of the doctrine in the first several chapters, and now he turns to the family. And so we'll deal at another time with the wives' role within the family life. And at another time, we will even deal with the husband's role within the family life. But you notice the comparison term here. Husbands, love your wife just as Christ just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. Look what it says here. Ephesians verse five, or chapter 5, verse 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own body. And he who loves his wife loves himself. Colossians chapter number 3 and verse number 19 reads this way. Husbands, love your wives and do not embitter them against you. First Peter chapter number three and verse number seven reads this way. You husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way, 
as with some weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of God's amazing grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Gentlemen, if you're not having your prayers answered by God, it might be due to the fact that you're not treating your wife the way that God would desire for you to treat your Wife, Husbands, look at the text. Husbands, love your wife just as, it's a comparison though, just as Christ loved the church. And you see here that the husband is compared to Christ and the church is compared to the wife. And the command in this verse is that we love our wives. And notice the comparison here. Also as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Here's the first point this morning. Christ has saved His bride. And as the church of Emmanuel Baptist Church, and as the church of believers both near and far in our country and around the world, we are a part of the bride of Christ. We have been saved and washed and changed and justified by Jesus Christ and His work on the cross. Amen? Just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Notice here that it says that Christ loved the church. The origin of the love of God is not based upon you and you earning the merit of God and what you have done and how good you have been and who you know and when you were baptized and what church you have joined. The love of God, the origin of the love of God is in His own character. And that is important because you cannot manipulate the love of God. You cannot control the love of God. You cannot demand the love of God all that we can do, my dear brothers and sisters, is simply say, thank you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for considering me. Thank you for bringing your salvation into my life. We are sinners before a living God, deserving of judgment and hell and shame for all eternity. But God had grace and mercy on us. Amen. He loved us. But notice that love is always intensely practical. You cannot merely tell somebody you love them. Love always is accompanied by the action of giving. And we never really truly love until we love in a way that costs, that gives, that sacrifices. And so the text says, just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for... The word there means to, that He gave Himself on behalf of her. Christ has saved us by His mercy. I just want to pause for a moment. I just want to talk to us as family today. I said, Steve, why, why is this so important as the church? Why do we have to get this right? I think this floods into every aspect of our life. The reason why we have pride, the reason why we gossip, the reason why we treat other people as less than us and we condescend to them, the reason why we may have at times arguments and fusses and fights is because we do not have a true, humble handle on what Jesus has done for us at the cross. We are sinners. We are failures. We are full of shame. We have come short of the glory of God and we stand in need of His mercy. And Jesus loved you. There's a story in the Old Testament of Hosea. 
and his wife Gomer. And I've told you before, that's kind of a crazy name to call a woman, but that was her name, Gomer. And Hosea, God told Hosea to go marry this lady Gomer, and he loved her. He gave her his heart. They had children together, and she left him. She became a harlot. She became a hooker. She had adultery and fornication, left her husband. But in chapter 3, God tells Hosea, go yet love a woman. And I want to say to every person in this room, whether you're a part of this church or whether you're not a part of this church, you're not as good as you think you are. We are not neutral. We are not good. We are are sinners. We have come short of the glory of God. We are the people that stand in the need of God's grace today. If Jesus saves you, it's not merely, I think that I'll take some of Jesus, or I would like to have that, or if, uh, if Jesus is lucky, I'll let Him save us. No, we stand in the place of saying, please God, please. I've sinned so much, I've failed so much, and You have loved me and you gave yourself for me on the cross. And when you really grasp, hey, listen, I've been praying all week, just asking the Lord, hey, help me, Lord, to have a fresh understanding and a new feeling in my heart of the justification, the salvation that God provided for His people. And some of you in this room, you've been saved a long time and, and you've kind of grown cold on that. But I want to remind you that God did not owe you His salvation. He could have left you in a lost state for eternity and still been God and still been justified to be who He is. He didn't owe us anything. Somebody says, Steve, why, why, why are you saved? I don't know. There was nothing good in me. There is nothing good I had to offer Him. And you don't have anything good to offer God, but He saved us. He loved us. He gave His Son for us to die on the cross of Calvary and take all of my sin and all of my shame and all of those things in your mind that you shudder at and you wish that nobody ever knew that you said it, the things you did wrong, the things you've said to people and where you've been and all the things that only God knows. He has washed all of that away. He has taken all of that away. And we don't have to pay the penalty for our sin. Why? Because when Jesus died, God poured all of the wrath that belongs on my life into Jesus so I wouldn't have to pay. The heartbeat of the church is that we are the bride of Christ who has been brought out and purchased. Our sins have been washed away. We should have zero pride and total humility. We should rejoice and sing and go and give and pray. Why? Not so that we can earn the favor and the merit of God, but because He has so graciously given us everything. He gave us His Son. We live this week as the church of God built upon the foundation that Jesus saves His bride through His love and through His sacrifice. Let me give you a second point here this morning. Look back down at the text. Not only does Christ save His bride... Christ is sanctifying us. And, and those are just big words to say that God is making us whole. He is making us holy. He is progressing and growing us in the Christian life. Christ is sanctifying His church. Look back down at the text, if you will. Husbands, love your wives just as. That is, that also the, love the church. Christ loved the church and gave Himself on her behalf. Notice the purpose clause. So that, so that He might sanctify her. 
having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. If you were to read this probably uh, in the most literal way, it's, uh, it's got a whole bunch of negatives in it, so it would read this way. So that He Himself might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. Notice a couple of things from that passage. First of all, notice the connection of how closely our justification, that is our salvation in Jesus, our conversion, coming to faith in Christ, look at how closely that is connected with the growth that God wants in your life. Salvation and sanctification are tied at the hip. They are Siamese twins. I've known so many people over my life that felt like they could get converted one day and then maybe years down the road they would become a disciple. Jesus would have none of it. Jesus never thought that you could be saved and not be a follower of Him. He would have never considered that you could possibly have your sins washed away and accept the good grace of God, but choose not to follow Him. Justification and sanctification are tied at the hip. Look back down at the text and see it for yourself. You see that? He loved us and gave Himself for us. Why did He justify us? Why did He save us? So that He might sanctify us that He might make us holy. And now here are the means, here's the instrumentality by which He sanctifies us and makes us holy, by the washing of water with the Word. Now if you have a study Bible, I know most of you, you guys make, uh, you guys make preaching difficult these days. I the ESV study. Some of y'all walk in here study Bible that thick. That ain't fair to the preacher, you know what I'm saying? I had to work like four times as hard. Now listen, I don't know what your study Bible says, but if that tells you that that's talking about baptism, it's wrong. Okay, Just strike that out. Don't strike the Word of God out. Strike your note out. It has nothing to do with baptism. No, that, that passage there is speaking about the washing of regeneration through the Word of God. The sanctifying work of God's holy Word. Listen, uh, listen to these verses. Knowing that He raised the Lord Jesus, He will also raise us with the Lord Jesus and present us wholly to Himself. And then listen to, uh, listen to a couple of these verses. I, I think that will be helpful. Titus chapter 3 and verse number 5. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. John 15 and verse number 3. You are already clean because of the Word which I have spoken to you. John 17 and 17. Sanctify them in truth your Word is truth. Romans 10 and verse number 8. But what does it say? The Word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the Word of faith which we are preaching to you. 1 Peter 1 verse number 25. But the Word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the Word which we were preaching to you. The way in which Jesus sanctifies His bride, the church, is through the washing of the Word of God. Now let me pause and give a moment of premature application. Two things. Have you been in the Word this week? 
Jesus is desiring to sanctify you and make you holy and grow you. You have been converted and justified. He's, he's washed away your sins and made you a new creature in Christ. But you all know that you have some of those hangers on, right? You have some of those sins. You have some of that old life. And so He's purifying you and making you holy and growing you into the image of Jesus. Have you spent time being washed in the water of the Word of God this week? How important was it to you to read the Scripture? I'm not asking you to read the whole Bible in a week. I'm just asking, are you making an intentional effort to say, hey, wait a second, the way in which Jesus purifies and makes me holy is through the Word of God. And, and here, this ought to help you a little bit. This will take away that legalism and all of that kind of that pressure of how much you got to read. I, I have to read a certain amount to meet a quota. Here, here's the thing, listen. Do you realize that all of the disciplines hold no merit in themselves? Right? Fasting and solitude and prayer and scripture reading, these things, they hold no merit in themselves. The, the goal of the Christian life is not to become a good scripture reader. The goal of the Christian life is not to become a good faster. The goal of the Christian life is to be conformed to the image of God. And the disciplines are the tools and the instruments that God uses to bring that about in our life. And so you say, why do I read the Bible? Because when I read the Bible, I give opportunity for Christ to work in my life. Some of you think, man, I've got to read the Bible so that I'm holy. No. I read the Scripture so that Christ can take the Word. Isn't that what it says in that verse? That Christ takes the Word and sanctifies me and makes me holy through the Word. Who's doing the work in that verse? Verse number 26. Not you. Christ. Christ is sanctifying His church by the washing the water of the Word of God. I want to encourage you this week to read the Scriptures. And brothers and sisters, if you don't know where to start, that's what I'm here for. Call me, text me, email me, come by the office. Uh, this week I already said, I was sitting down with an 18-year-old young man in our church just starting to walk through the Scripture and books together and discipleship. You ought to be helping each other in small Bible groups and in our small groups. And You ought to spend time in the Word of God, studying the Word of God, because the more that you get the Word of God inside of you, the more Christ has to use and to shape and to mold you and to conform you into His image. Not just to say, I've checked that off in my Christian life, but so that that Jesus can do the work in you. Doesn't that excite you to know that Christ is doing the work in you? And when you fast and when you pray and when you read Scripture, you're not becoming, you're not becoming a better one of those. It's not, I've got to do that to be holy. You're simply putting yourself in the way so that Jesus can work on your life. And wouldn't you rather Jesus work on your life than you? <laughs> who, who do you think is going to do a better job? You or Him? Not only that, but I, I could take time to show you elsewhere throughout the New Testament, but the word here for word, right? It's not only speaking about the Word of God written, it's also speaking about the Word of God proclaimed. And I just want to encourage you. God's design for our lives, not me. I simply, I simply stand in an office, but it's not me. 
But God has so designed His way, not my way, His way, not our way. God has designed for believers and the body of Christ to be sanctified, to grow, not only individually, but as a congregation, to grow together by listening and heeding and implementing and applying to our lives the preaching and the exposition of God's holy Word. And so when we come to church, just as our brother prayed last week, we come and an act of worship is learning how to listen to the Word of God in such a way that you would use it in your life. When we come to church, it places us in a place not so we can just fold our arms and look around and see who's here or who's not here. Or I like that song, I didn't like that song, or you know, all of that kind of. We're not here for our preferences, but when we come here, we pray and we put ourselves out there and we allow God to use His Word, and the Spirit of God comes into us and convicts us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, and He encourages us and lifts us up together, and we grow as the body of Christ. This church must grow into a holy and a theologically sound body so that we can tell the world the proper message of Jesus. Amen? How faithful are you being to being made holy by Jesus? Well, let me give you a third point. We'll move. Look back down to the text. So the purpose statement there in 26, so that He might sanctify or having cleansed having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the Word, that He might present to Himself. Isn't that an odd statement, right? Jesus is doing the presenting, and who's Jesus presenting the bride to? Himself, right? Isn't that what it says? That He might present to Himself the church in all of her glory. Has anybody ever been to a wedding where that's happened? Right? Where the man like walked the lady down the aisle? and then went and got in the position to receive the bride? Why is that there? It's there to remind us that even though we fail and come short and we keep working at this thing in the Christian life, that Christ is ultimately in control of all of these things. He is the beginning and He is the end of the Christian life. And even in our failure and even when we come up short, He is there to forgive and to give grace and mercy. And He will accomplish our righteousness. Look what it says. He present to Himself the church in all of her glory. You see where I got that, right? So the, He saves His bride. He sanctifies His bride. And then look here, that He might present to Himself the church in all of her glory. There's this, the, the uh, Christ glorifies His bride. And then look what it says. Having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And here's the contrast. See, the negative part of all of her glory is no spot, no wrinkle, no nothing bad. The positive side of all of her glory is that she would be holy and blameless. Holy and blameless. I was thinking this week, just through that text a little bit, what strikes you about that? I know we probably think that we're the best church in Raleigh, but I assure you, we have some problems. Did you know that? And guess what? Every other church in this whole area has problems too. I told somebody one time, and I said, well, you know, uh, you know, say about joining a church. I said, well, that church isn't perfect. No church is perfect. All churches have sinners in them. 
And when I, when I look at it, you know, part of what, you know where I rejoice the most? I'll just share with you just from my heart. You know where I, God sanctifies me and what I enjoy? Somebody asked me the other day, you know what I enjoy so much? I enjoy being with our people on Sunday mornings. And uh, uh, meeting everybody, seeing everybody. And then I love the way that we worship. And sometimes, we, you know, somebody sings a song and it's beautiful. And sometimes we miss a transition. Sometimes we do this. Sometimes we wish we could do that better. But all of us are struggling along together in the body of Christ as a family, as Christ's bride. And all of us in our lives individually, we struggle with sins. And hey, listen, don't, don't act pious. You know you have some sins in your life right now that you do again and again and again and again. And the truth of the matter is in your heart right now, you don't feel like you're free of wrinkle. You don't feel like you're free of spot. In fact, you feel like you've got all kinds of problems, and we do. But I want to encourage you today to understand this. Christ is not done with us yet. Amen? And the issue at stake in this passage is not so much that we war, 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 fight, 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 and it's all on me. No, the pressure is all on Christ. And I want to remind you that He is in control. He is in control of our church. He is in control of our lives. And He is making us into the holy church that He wants us to be. Day by day, moment by moment, inch by inch, God is at work in our lives. Don't give up. Go to Him. Lean on Him. Love Him. And make incremental progress in holiness. And you'll find that one day in the future, Christ will return. And He will iron out all of the wrinkles in our life. He will take away all all of the spots in our life. He will make us holy and blameless and we will rejoice in His mercy all the days of our life. That's the foundational truth that this church is built upon. That Jesus Christ died for us and rose again. And that He is alive and well right now in the midst of all of our hearts as believers working on us and teaching us and training us and sometimes disciplining us and bringing us along and growing us into the image of Jesus. And when you stub your toe and when you fail and when you look up and say, my goodness, there's so much to be done, just look to the future and to the great hope of the return of Jesus and say, I'll keep on. I'll be faithful. I'll serve Him. I'll lift up Jesus. Why? Because I know one day He'll make it all right. He'll iron out all the problems. I can live within that context of Christianity. Twice this week, I'll just finish this. Twice this week, two men have said something to me about this text. And you know what they said? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ Loved the church and gave himself forward and he sanctifies her and glorifies her. And Pastor Steve, I'm not Jesus. You know, those men and probably everybody else in this room are feeling the weight of the passage. And that's a good thing. Because every man in this room ought to feel the weight as a believer, to be Christ for your home. But what you're missing is the grace of this passage. 
Yes, the responsibility and the comparison is there. Yes, every man in this room ought to live like Christ and lead your family and love those and walk with Jesus. And you ought to be Christ to your home. The weight of the passage is there from the Apostle Paul. But the grace of the passage must not be avoided. You must remember that Christ died for the ungodly. And when you fail and when you come short and all of those times you look back in your life and wish that you would have done that as a parent or you wish you would have said that or you wish that you could take that back or you wish that you could be better, I want you to know that Jesus died on the cross to take away all of that sin and all of that pain and washed all of that away. And even today as a believer, if you sinned on your way into church today while you were sinning, Christ blood and Christ's sacrifice was atoning for all of your sin. That's the power of the Gospel. That's the good news that we give to people. That Jesus has paid it all. Stop fighting. Stop trying to live life on your own. And go to Christ and say, please be the Lord and Savior of my life. I give you everything. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me just for a moment? Hey, if you're here today and maybe it's the first time or a little new for you, uh, we're just nothing weird. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I'm just Right now, we're just kind of in, in a prayerful mode. So if you'd just bow your heads, close your eyes, just pray. Ask the Lord. Believers, I want to ask you this. Would you just pray right where you are and ask God to help you to have a fresh vision of what He has done for you at the cross and the resurrection and how He's trying to sanctify you and be in the Word. Commit to be in the Word more and to be in God's house more and to have a rejoicing hope in the coming of Jesus. Just just do that today in your heart, right where you are. I want to take just a moment. I, there's, some, there's some people here today and if you're honest, and you don't have to do to me or anybody else, but in your heart right now, if you're honest, you, you know that you have never come to a saving knowledge of Jesus where you have not worried about what people say or embarrassment and all these kind of things. But with your heart, you've just laid down and said, Jesus, I am a sinner and I'm failing and I need You to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Please, please take me. Please save me. I want to invite you right now, right where you are, if God is dealing with your heart, don't worry about lunch. Don't worry about emotionalism. Don't worry about what other people are thinking or what's going on around you or your neighbor. This is the moment right now to talk with God. You've heard it clearly explained that Jesus died for you and rose again and seeks to make you His child and bride. You can't earn it. You're not good enough and you never will be. So why don't you just give up right now? And in your own language, in your own way, talk with God. Ask Him to save you. Ask Him to have mercy on you. And if you do that with a sincere and a humble heart, Jesus Christ will save you.
now. And in a minute, we will stand and sing together. And I just want to tell you, if you make that decision right now as you're praying, will you come see me after the service? Let some of the people kind of dismiss and then come see me. We want to help you. We want to walk with you. We want to disciple you and help you to grow in your newfound relationship with Jesus. This is the moment. This is the day. Trust Him now. Change your life. Not by your own doing, but by His. Pastor Steve, you don't understand. I'm 60 years old. I've lived, I've lived uh, three quarters of my life. Don't die and go to hell for anybody. Trust Him now. And He'll save you. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.